What is going on, beautiful people? I am your host, Armand Lee, and thank you so much for listening to a brand new episode of the Quarterly Report. We've got another fun show for you guys this week. Mike Bassetti from RaptorsRapture.com will be stopping by, and we've got a fun interview. We're discussing, of course, the Toronto Raptors, mainly the huge offseason on their hands after a disappointing exit from the playoffs. Dwayne Casey is gone. Who do the Raptors fans want to replace him? And is DeMar DeRozan really on the trade block? We've got those topics and more to discuss. A really fun interview. Plus, even though we're in the middle of the NBA playoffs, even though we're in the middle of the NHL playoffs, and even though boxing season is in full swing, there is one topic that I just, I can't stop thinking about. And it's the relationship falling apart in front of our eyes between Tom Brady and and the New England Patriots. That topic and more coming up. But first, our number one topic this week. First quarter. Hey, what the f*** is wrong with the Minnesota Timberwolves? <laughs> they just broke the longest active streak, you know, in terms of not making the playoffs. They finally broke it this year. They've got one of the best 15 players in the league who is still on his rookie deal. Yeah, they made a mistake. And signing Andrew Wiggins to that massive albatross of a contract. But you know what? It's all good because they offset that by getting out of Zach Levine and training for, you know, Jimmy Butler. So you would expect, you would think all things are going well for the Timberwolves, right? I mean, it makes sense. Nah. Almost two weeks, just a few weeks after, right, losing in the first round to the Houston Rockets. There are rumblings that the Timberwolves are considering trading Carl Anthony Towns. Now, look, these are just rumors, so there's nothing to substantiate the idea that they're actually looking to move him. In fact, there there have been reports to refute the fact that it's very unlikely that Carl Anthony Towns is traded. But the idea that it's, quote, very unlikely that Carl Anthony Towns is traded The idea that he has even somehow found himself anywhere near a trading block is absurd to me. And it got, and it just has me thinking, man, what, what are they doing? What's going on in the Twin Cities, bro? Like how they are just, they are just now (laughs) coming out of the funk of trading Kevin Garnett for a bunch of breadsticks. And we discussed this last week with Tyler James and the Celtics Nation about how beneficial that trade was for for a Celtics perspective. Look at how much it has torn apart the Timberwolves franchise. They traded one of at the time one of the five best players in the league, currently one of the 25 best players of all time and they got nothing for it. They're just now digging themselves up out of that hole and they were blessed with Carl Anthony Towns. And three years after seeing how great of a player he is, they're discussing trading him. What the hell is going on in Minnesota? Like, as a Knicks fan, (laughs) as a Knicks fan, that type of stuff, don't get me wrong. When it comes to stupidity, there isn't a team in the NBA who does it better than us. But we have some peers. Oh, best believe we do. 
the Sacramento Kings and the Minnesota Timberwolves come to mind instantly. Carl Anthony Towns may make an all NBA team in his third year. He is a seven footer who shot 42% from three. Now look, he's not a perfect player, but who is right? Who is a perfect player? Anthony Davis. And then who? There's no one. Okay. So yes, he needs to improve defensively. Sure. Would you want him to be a little bit more aggressive offensively? Why not? But trading him. And there were talks that Phoenix may trade a why on the idea that you like if you are drafting in this draft, you are praying that whomever you decide to select is half the player that Carl Anthony Towns is. As quickly as he became this great boy. You know what I mean? It's the equivalent of having a winning lottery ticket and then deciding to trade it. For a scratch-off. I've made this analogy before, but, I mean, you have exactly what you want with a draft pick in Carl Anthony Towns, and you're thinking about trading him for another chance to get another Alcar. It's hard. Like It's hard to find a player like him, let alone someone who has developed the way he has, that you're going to try and do it again? Not to build... Right? It's not like you're trading. If you want to trade Andrew Wiggins for a number one pick, I'm all for it. Because Andrew Wiggins isn't good. Okay? So go for it. Trading someone who absolutely is an elite level player, who absolutely has the potential to be a franchise cornerstone player, you just made the playoffs. And what are you doing? If this is the work. And I've got a few people with, uh, I wouldn't say inside knowledge, but definitely credible people close to the situation and people who have uh, connections with inside knowledge to that Timberwolves organization. Um, there are people to, that are suggesting that this, this, this uh, I guess, unhappy, this, this uh, cloud of uh, frustration that's hanging over the T-Wolves organization, it stems from Tom Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau is not nearly as, you know, if if this was Greg Popovich, this was Brad Stevens, right? Okay. If this was Eric Spolstra, sure. Like, you know what? He is so, he is so amazing at what he does that we'll try to fix this. We'll try to work this out. But Tom Thibodeau, Tom Thibodeau isn't anywhere close to being elite at his job that he can't be. If you, if there's even the smallest inclination that Tom Thibodeau is a disruptive force with your franchise player, get Tom Thibodeau's ass up out of Minnesota. And it's that easy. You feel me? That man is not Prince. He's not Bob Dylan. Who cares about Tom Thibodeau? You understand? You guys probably aren't an AC if Tom Thibodeau's not your head coach because Jimmy Butler wouldn't be ran through the, you know, his body wouldn't be falling apart during a crucial stretch of the regular season. The T-Wolves, I, I mean, again, as a Knicks fan, we haven't had any luck. And partly because dumb people, dumb teams, dumb organizations, people 
and entities who make dumb decisions don't they're not afforded good luck right <laughs> it, it'd just be a waste you know what i mean it's like giving a blank check to somebody who has no idea how to utilize a check doesn't have a banking account it'd be okay but you're not going to know how to effectively use this gift so i'm not even going to give it to you that's how lady luck has looked at life as a nick fan because we screw everything up but i wish i love chris stops i love chris stops not only is chris stops not anywhere close to being as good of a player as carl anthony towns chris stops is coming off an acl injury so you've got a great young player right who by all accounts is a an amazing staple in the community and he's healthy and he's the new age big man he's again he's not a great defensive player and you know that's that's going to be an issue okay but again who's the perfect player in the timberwolves the timberwolves will allow tom Thibodeau to mess whatever it is that they got going and then consider trading him not only that the fact that the rumors are out there Carl Anthony Towns could easily be like, you know what? I'll play next year and I'll play my fifth year as a, as a, you know, a restricted free agent, not sign that first lucrative contract. It didn't truly test unrestricted free agency after five seasons. There hasn't, this is, this is the scary thing. If you're a T-Wolves fan, right? If you allow Tom Thibodeau, if it's any truth to the rumor that he is somehow the reason for Carl Anthony Towns displeasure, you are giving the small but still very real opportunity that Carl Anthony Towns says, I'll eat the one year, a risky one year, because I could get hurt and my my you know um my value could plummet, but it wouldn't plummet that much, you know. But the one player in recent history who for who did forego their contract, their rookie contract extension. It was Kevin Love, someone who played in Minnesota. So if any organization would be scared to death, worried that their franchise player could be tempted to leave, it would be the organization that traded one of the 25 greatest basketball players of all time for a bag of unsharpened pencils. Not even number two pencils, so you can't even foul test with them. It would be the organization who went 16 consecutive years without a playoff berth. Maybe it's 15. Don't quote me on the years. But if it won't 16, it was 15. And if it won't 15, it was 14. But it was a damn long time. Okay? You would think this would be the team who would be a little bit sensitive, right? To the fact that, yo, maybe we should make sure our franchise player is happy because there's not a long list of people who are coming to Minnesota willingly in the NBA. Who's the last big time free agent signing from the Timberwolves? Jeff Teague? And y'all overpaid for that, Bama. Look, man, by the graces of God, okay, they have been able to overcome the awful signings of Jeff Teague and the cataclysmic signing okay, of Andrew Wiggins. Understand just how devastating Andrew Wiggins' contract will become. Now, he could still get better. He's very young, and there have been rumors. Again, like I said, I'm going to talk to a contributor from 
Raptors rapture later in the show. There are rumors that the Toronto-born, you know, Andrew Wiggins, he may be a nice fit in Toronto for the Raptors for DeMar DeRozan change, right? DeMar DeRozan, I'm not the biggest fan of, but at least his contract comes up shorter, right? He only has, I believe, two more years. So you would be able to somehow get out of that deal if you are the T-Wolves, if you were to possibly even entertain that contract. But whatever. They've got Jeff Teague, awful contract. they got Andrew Wiggins thus far, awful contract. you got Derrick Rose, even though I believe he only signed a one-year deal, so, you know, no harm, no foul there. You got Gorgie Jing, Ding making a crazy amount of money. You're, you've been blessed because not only do you have Jimmy Butler, but you also have Carl Anthony Towns, two top 20 players in this league, to offset the dumb decisions you've made with your salary cap. And now somehow you're thinking about moving the young superstar because of the coach? Man, y'all Bavis need to wake y'all ass up because if y'all going to mess around that blessing, Oh, man, it may be time to get y'all about to leave. I'm serious, bro. It's been it's been over a decade, close to a decade and a half, without you guys being even a blimp on anybody's attention span in the NBA. You're just now getting back to relevancy. And you're going to waste it away because of a coach? A coach who runs his players to the ground? Man. <laughs> Minnesota. I have friends who are T-Wolves fans. And for you guys, I hope y'all get your act together. But getting your act together is not, is not anywhere close to considering moving Carl Anthony Towns. Wash your face. Get your day started, man. Get your day started. Re reset whatever it is that y'all been doing, man. Because whatever it is, it's not working if it doesn't include having a happy Carl Anthony Towns. All right, guys. That's the first quarter. Remember, you want to interject into the show if you have a question if you want to comment if you want to rebuke my Carl anthony towns timberwolves theory point rant whatever you want to call it you got so many ways to get involved you can email us at quarterly at gmail.com you can tweet me at the show's twitter handle at quarterly show that's q u a r t e r l e e show and remember there's so many ways to listen to the show so tell your friends tell your family tell everyone right you can listen to us on stitcher you can listen to us at Podknife on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, you name it, we're there. Leave a five-star review and let the world know what you think of the show. I greatly appreciate it. All right, guys, we're going to step off the NBA hardwood for a second and step into the gridiron for our second topic. This second quarter. There comes a time in all of our lives, right, whether it's in relationships, whether it's at your profession, where you understand your value and you demand to be compensated as such, right? Now, for many of the, us, this happens really, really quickly, okay? You understand your worth, what you are providing, and you expect instantly to be compensated for that work, right? Whether it's at your job, you know, you understand that your output, your production is significantly better than your peers and you like go to your boss and like look look I want to raise this is what I'm worth and I'm not and I'm not going to leave here until I am satisfied right we can have a negotiation whatever the case may be but I know I am outperforming what you are paying me and that's not going to be tolerated anymore it could be in a relationship you know 
you're putting far more into a relationship with someone. Now, it could be in your personal relationship or friendship or family, whatever the case. But you're like, look, I'm giving you all of this and you're not returning that. Or I am of a certain age where I demand a certain amount of respect. If you're talking to like a parent or, you know, a grandparent or whomever the case may be, a big brother, whatever. And you're like, you're going to start respecting me as someone of this age or of this maturity level, right? And again, initially, there may be some pushback because the person you're in the relationship with or at the job with, they are comfortable. They're familiar with you accepting the way things are and have always been. So the longer you go, the people who instantly, you know, make that situation uncomfortable, not because they're a dick, not because they're a jerk, but because they understand their worth, their value, they're better off for it, right? And the sooner you rip the Band-Aid off, the easier that transition period becomes. But the longer you let uh, someone in the relationship, whether it's at your workplace or in your personal life, right, dictate to you what you accept, what is acceptable, what your worth is, and how you handle your worth, how you communicate, how you feel, how do you outwardly express that, man, the nastier it becomes. And it is playing out in front of all of us on a national scale with the most successful football franchise in the world, the New England Patriots. And damn it, I got my popcorn, I got my raisinets, and I got my drink ready because I love every second of it. If you haven't guessed by now, of course I'm talking about the relationship between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Tom Brady for years... It's so funny. Tom Brady's 40 years old and he's just now understanding, yo, you got all the juice. You are arguably the best player ever. You are a quarterback. You've got a, a region of this country. A region of the country idolizes you. <laughs> you have somehow gotten better with age. They have changed rules to protect you specifically. You're married to a model, and now, just now, you've dominated a division and you've dominated a conference for over a decade. And you're just now, just now saying, yo, I need to flex on these mamas a little bit. The New England Patriots have built this dynasty on the back of Tom Brady being just all shucks I'm happy to be here, right? We've got the iconic image of Tom Brady when they won the first Super Bowl, beating the Rams. And Drew Bledsoe, looking like a grizzled veteran, is on the stage just like, man, you know what? My time in Boston is really over. I love it up here. But this kid just roughed my whole lifestyle. And Tom Brady's like grabbing his head, smiling all oh, shucks. I can't believe it. Gee, golly, we've done it. And we finally have come to the point where Tom Brady realizes that he's a superstar despite all of it, despite being idolized, despite being the, he's the, he may be the greatest jock in American sports. Many of you known a jock, they know how dope that in high school, the best guy on the basketball team who is not even a state player. But if you went to a high school, every team's got a best player. They feel themselves as part of the, the, the benefit of being a jock. Tom Brady has finally discovered the fact that, yo, 
you've got some pull. And it's come so late to him that he's had some rough. It's like someone finally learning how to ride a bike. Okay, when a child is learning how to ride a bike, you know, they fall over a few times. You know, you get them the knee pads, the helmet. It looks cute. You know what I'm saying? I'm teaching my daughter how to ride a bike without training wheels. And, you know, she falls over. She's a tough cookie. Her bones fresh, haven't been hurt. And she, you, you, you drive by and you see it. She got the, the orange helmet and the pads, and it doesn't look funny. Now imagine my black ass at 35 years old trying to learn how to ride a bike. Okay? You're driving down. You see some big dude, some helmet and hand pads, knee pads, just falling over. You're like, what the hell is wrong with you? Get it out your system. Because Tom Brady, it took him a while. He's got the crazy doctor. There's maybe sabotaging Jimmy Garoppolo. It just looked weird. You know what I mean? He's got his own diet. He's talking about how he doesn't eat chocolate and strawberries and whatever the hell else. And you're looking at Tom Brady like, man, what the, what the hell's wrong with him? But over time, his flex, his flexing skills have gotten to the point where you got to commend him. And now, this is my favorite story. This, outside of the NBA, this may be my favorite story in all of sports. Because Bill Belichick is looking at Tom Brady like, yo, what happened? What's going on? Because he's accustomed to every, not just Tom Brady, but everybody who plays for the Patriots. They get in line. And why do they get in line? Why is it that Bill Belichick has this almost like taskmaster, this, this mental uh, manipulative skills over everyone who, who plays for the Patriots? It's because if Tom Brady has no problem getting in line, then everybody got to get in line. If Tom Brady, who's better at football than everybody else, is cool and he's taking less money, right, and he's got no problem voicing his displeasure and he's coming to every OTA and every voluntary OTA, he's always there. You can't be the Bama just happy to get a job throwing a fit because Tom Brady's like, bro, I'm working harder than you and I'm better than you ever will be. But now, aha, Tom Brady's like, nah, Slim, I'm running I'm the captain now, right? And you see a real conflict brewing. Tom Brady wanted Jimmy Garoppolo up out of New England. Clearly. The Patriots didn't get anywhere close to real value for Jimmy Garoppolo. Tom Brady is 40 years old, be 41 at the start of the season or before the year is over, something like that, right? They had a legitimate, obviously a team thinks high enough of him to pay him that much money. They had a legitimate starting caliber NFL quarterback behind Tom Brady waiting in the wings, and they traded him for a pick. I just talked about in the first quarter how that is crazy, right? You're trading close to a sure thing for a lottery ticket. And the only reason they did it is because Tom flexed. He was like, nah, I don't like this guy. Get him up out of here. And guess what? Bill Belichick had to kneel and kiss the ring because Tom Brady, he has the instant dial to Bob Kraft. That's the, that's the trump card. Big A, big joker. I'm sorry, bro. You got to learn. Tom Brady is finally growing into himself at 40 years old, telling his employer, look, man, I'm not playing with y'all. Voluntary OTAs. And let's, get, let's take his time out right here. Voluntary OTAs is the dumbest thing in the world. The absolute dumbest thing in the world. Why in May does a football team need to get together for a week 
and go over drills. Do you honestly think that this is going to affect if your favorite football team is the New England Patriots? And Tom Brady's not coming to OTAs. Voluntary, mind you. They fought. They fought and negotiated the CBA for this. And it's almost like, all right, man, we fought. We lost paychecks to get this voluntary OTAs, but we still going to come anyway because we got to force to, which makes no sense. But does any, anyone, whether you're a Patriot fan or not, think that the Patriots are somehow going to be hurt because Tom Brady didn't go to OTAs? Do you think this makes them less of a football team? The idea that this is like a big to-do, not because of what it stands for, but because he's missing practice. And Bill Belichick, oh, man, I'm only going to talk about the players who are here and want to be here and want to get better. Man, get out of here. Y'all still going to win y'all division, and y'all probably still going to go to the Super Bowl, if not the AFC Championship game, barring injury. Hey, get out of here. doesn't matter. It's a voluntary OTAs that people are forced to go. Man, I could go, I could go all show on just kind of the dumb constructs that exist in football specifically, that being high atop the list, okay? But I digress. Tom Brady's not going to OTAs. It doesn't matter, but he's always gone to OTAs, right? So it's more of the meaning, the significance, than the actual uh, ramifications, right? Tom Brady's not happy, and he's letting the world know he's not happy, not by saying anything, and he did that. We'll get to that in a second. But not by saying anything in this instance, by just not showing up. He may be the best player of all time. You honestly think Tom Brady needs to go to practice in May? Of course not. But it's a big deal. Why is it a big deal? Because this has always been the norm for the Patriots. Everybody goes to OTAs, and if you don't go, you get in a doghouse. I'd love to see Bill Belichick. This is what I hope happens. Who's got the bigger, you know what, man? Let's, Because this it's coming down. It's a head-to-head showdown. It's a flex-off right now, Joe. Tom Brady, Bill Belichick. Does Bill Belichick dare flex back on Tom Brady? It's like, nah, Slim, you're going to be out there preseason. Preseason one, you're going a whole quarter. You're going a whole half. Does he have the gumption? Can he do that? Will it even come to that point? I doubt it. But it would be so funny if he did, man. The Patriots dynasty has been built off of Tom Brady not knowing how much juice he has. And he finally got a taste of it. Like, oh, I got a lot of juice. Watch this. And it may have come too late, but let's let's just bask in the glow of Tom Brady finally realizing he's got juice. And again, it's not just the OTAs, him no-showing. He had an interview with Jim Gray this offseason. And Jim Gray asked him, do you feel like you're appreciated by the Patriots? Imagine asking Tom Brady that question five years ago. And what is he say? Oh, shucks. Gee, golly. I love the New England Patriots. They show me so much love. It's a family environment. Bill knows what he's doing. Mr. Kraft, he's like a father figure. Ba ba ba, yada, yada, yada. Boom, boom, boom. Whatever. Jim Gray asked, Tom Brady that question a few weeks ago and he was like, no comment. Huh? And everybody was like, whoa. And then he, you know, he added to that, but it was clear. He's not happy necessarily with his position or he wasn't or with the, the working dynamics. Why? Because for far too long, he accepted, he accepted not 
understanding his value, not being rewarded based off his productivity. Obviously, we know about the financial situation. He's always taking less money. So if you're going to do that and you're the best quarterback, you got to have some kind of sway, like some pull. And Bill, the way he runs his operation, nah, he wasn't having it. When now, Bill, you ain't got no choice, but you got two choices, nothing or like it. <laughs> and I don't think he's down for either one of those two. So we're just waiting for the crescendo, right? We're waiting for the ultimate conflict because there's clearly no team in the AFC who has anything for the Patriots. So the only thing that we can hope for is the Patriots break from within. It's like the, the, the villain from Captain American Civil War. He knew he couldn't take down Iron Man and the Avengers and Captain America. So what did he do? He had them fight amongst themselves. That's, that's what's going on with the Patriots. I don't know what side y'all on. I'm just sitting on the sidelines, waiting, waiting for it all to explode, man, because I love it. I love it. And more than seeing the Patriots fall apart from within, I love 40-year-old Tom Brady, you know, movie star good looks, best football player of all time, best quarterback of all time, in the Super Bowl every damn year, married to a, a, a model wife. I love the idea of Tom Brady walking around looking around at himself like, yo, I got some juice. Let me squeeze every ounce of it before I'm done. I'm 40 years old. I wasted 15, 18 years. Let me get the last drop I can, however I can. Whether it's me forcing my doctor into the facilities, me forcing my backup into a bad trade, or me not eating strawberries, whatever the case. Tom Brady flexing at 40 years old is my favorite sports story. I love it. And I'm assuming you guys do too. All right, guys, you heard the horn. That means it's halftime. We're not going to have stoppage time this week. So you guys, make sure you give me your emails, give me your ideas, give me your topics, your your rebuttals to whatever quarter you hear or whatever you want to talk about, music, entertainment, television related, you name it. It's all fair game. Email us at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at me at quarterly show. It's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E show on Twitter. All right, guys. You guys know I'm living outside the D.C. area. And the Washington Capitals and D.C.'s drought for a championship. It culminated with the Game 7 Wednesday night. And it got me thinking, you know what? It's been a long time since any team represented D.C. in a championship manner. So much so that... I went back in the way, way back machine and looked at that 99 Capitals roster and wanted to see if you guys knew any of the names, right? But that's just not good enough for the quarterly report, right? Just naming some names and seeing how familiar you are with them. So we added another level, another piece to the nostalgia machine that is DC Sports. Of course I'm talking about generating that shit with the Wu-Tang Clan name generator. Are you a Washington Capitals fan getting set to rock the red for the Stanley Cup Final? Well, before you do, let's pay respect to some of the heroes of years past with the Wu-Tang Clan name generator. Wu-Tang, Wu-Tang. We all remember such legends as Adam Oates. Well, the player, not the coach. But instead of calling him Adam Oates, let's generate that 
and call him respected criminal. Wu Tang, Wu Tang. Sergey Gonchar had memorable moments in the run to the Stanley Cup final in 98, but if that name is a bit too tough for you to say, digitize it, and his new name will become Amateur Warlock. Wu Tang, Wu Tang. And Oli the Goalie was a cute nickname for Olaf Goldzik back in the day, but now he'll be remembered as Fearless Overlord. Wu Tang, Wu Tang. The Wu Tang Clan name generator. Rocking the red, hoping that the Capitals finally bring Lord Stanley's Cup to DC. Hey, shout out to the Capitals, Johnny. You know, I've been in DC for like, man, 16, 17 years now. I'm from Richmond, been in DC every single year of my life. Family, my mom was born and raised in DC, cousins, the whole nine, best friends. So I'm pulling for the Caps, man. Again, if you guys, whether you're in DC or not, whether you're a Capitals fan or not, man, check out a period of playoff hockey if you don't watch it. It is some of the most exciting. It's probably, it's the best, actually, in my opinion, it's the best playoff of any of the sport, any of the major sports, because the games is just so exciting. Uh, and, you know, I'm not even a huge hockey fan, but, you know, you can appreciate and respect the sport. And D.C., man, it's been it's been so long, man, early 90s since they've won a championship. Again, the Capitals in 98, they were the last D.C. team before this version of the Capitals to even make it to a finals, let alone make it to a conference championship. So, you know, this Capitals team, man, is, is years in the making. You know, they've been they've had some of the best teams in the league, but that's just the nature of the hockey of hockey's playoffs. It's just so unpredictable and it's really exciting. So even if you're, it's probably best to watch the Stanley cup final. If you don't have a rooting interest, because it's some of the most intense, intense moments, intense games that you can watch as a sports fan. So if you're just watching it as an observer, you'll be able to, you know, at least in my opinion, to, to get more, to appreciate the game more, because if you are rooting for somebody and in this case, rooting for the capitals, Man, it's like getting punched in the stomach over and over and over again. It is tough. But shout out to the Capitals fans. Shout out to the Capitals, man. Four wins away. So we at the quarterly report, we're pulling for you. All right, guys, that was halftime. I'm about to get my Brad Stevens on, make some in-game adjustments. We're going to finish up strong, starting with the third quarter. Our guest this week, Mike Bassetti from RaptorsRapture.com. He is a contributor for RaptorsRapture.com, a really dope website featuring nothing but the Toronto Raptors. His name is Mike Bassetti. Mike, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. My pleasure. Guys, make sure you follow Mike on Twitter. He's at MikeBowSports. That's Mike B-O Sports. Again, he's a contributor for RaptorsRapture.com, a really dope website that I checked out during their first round series versus the Wizards. So if you're a fan of the NBA, the Raptors specifically, or just the NBA and NBA knowledge, I definitely recommend you guys checking out that website. All right, Mike, so let's get right into it. The Raptors, they've essentially dominated the headlines uh, the moment they were eliminated. Obviously, Dwayne Casey was let go this offseason, and he's coming off of the most wins in franchise history. You guys had a successful run, um, not just this year, but last year. And people forget you know, much has been made about the Raptors' shortcomings in the postseason, but you guys went to the conference championships like two seasons ago. So it's not like, you know, you guys have been these 
this failure in the playoffs every year. You guys have had success, and it has stemmed with Casey running the ship. So it caught everyone on the outside off guard. I'm wondering how are the fans and the people of Toronto, how do they feel about the firing of Casey? And number two, who do the fans want to see most as his replacement? Well, I think there's an important difference between whether someone deserved to get fired and whether it was the right decision. Whether Casey certainly didn't deserve to be fired. He's the winningest coach of franchise history. He's accomplished great things as a Raptors coach. Uh, That doesn't mean it was the wrong decision. I think that Masai kind of looked at a roster that was going to be difficult to drastically change this offseason and thought he had to do something different. You couldn't continue to run it back with the same group. That's had, like you said, perhaps a little over-exaggerated postseason failures, but have had some postseason failures. So I think that it was a move that they needed to make, but again, one that's tough to make, especially when you have the team account tweeting about how he's a coach of the year candidate. Um, As far as next coaches, I think that the consensus was that Mike Budenholzer was the favorite in Toronto. Obviously, with him taking the job in Milwaukee, that's not the case. Um, It's kind of unclear whether Toronto did not want him or whether he just thought that the Milwaukee position with Giannis was better. Um, I think that looking forward, the the fan favorite is Jerry Stackhouse, um, the G League coach that led the Raptors 905 to a championship two years ago and had them playing in the championship game this year. I think also the organization is going to look hard at Nick Nurse, who's an assistant who also won a G League championship when he was in the G League um, and was the top offensive assistant this year. And perhaps maybe it's someone like Messina in San Antonio. Once again, guys, I'm joined by Mike Bassetti. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Mike Bo Sports. He's a contributor at RaptorsRapture.com. And I want to stay here for a second because you're right. Just because it's a hard decision to make does not mean it's not the time to make it. You know, Dwayne Casey obviously was successful, but it does feel like things may have gotten stale in Toronto. And if they want to take that next leap, it was time for a new voice. And there has to be comfort knowing that the person making these decisions to get rid of Casey and to hire the new head coach is Masai Ujiri, one of the three or four best general managers in the entire sport. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Aside, besides maybe Danny Ainge and Daryl Morey has one of the biggest job security in the league, and for good reason. He's turned the Raptors around since he's gotten here. He's drafted unbelievably well in the late first round, getting guys like OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, and other players like that in the late 20s. Um, I think Raptors fans have extreme confidence in Masai, and I think it's important to note that Casey wasn't his guy. He inherited Coach Casey. And I don't think, and I think it was wise to not rush off Casey because obviously he did a lot of, of good for this team, helping develop them into the team they are. But he was never Masai's first hire, and it will be exciting to see Masai get his first full decision on who he wants as coach. Absolutely. Once again, guys, I'm joined by Mike Bassetti. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Mike Bo Sports. He's a contributor to RaptorsRapture.com. Definitely want to check out that website. And, you know, we got we to gotta move on to the elephant in the room now. Uh, this year, the Raptors had a hell of a season. And, you know, a few of my buddies, they get on me because 
I was a believer. All the stats, all the metric, all the data that at least I subscribe to was not only telling us that Toronto was a phenomenal team, that they were a legit contender for not just to, to get out the East, but to actually be a championship contender. And I'm not saying that I thought they were going to win the chip, but I had I had lofty expectations for this team. And once you saw, you know, how Cleveland struggled in the first round versus Indiana, again, I'm not saying that I had Toronto beating Cleveland, but I thought that series, that series was going to be competitive in a long, hard, tough series. And obviously we know what happened. They got swept to LeBron for the second straight year. So now that we are a few weeks removed from the outcome, how are how is the team and how are the fans kind of rationalizing what happened in the second round series versus Cleveland? Well, it's tough. Like like you said, if they lose in seven, it's kind of more understandable. You also the best player in the world and the guy who's one of the top two or three best players of all time and to lose in four is just so disheartening, especially like you said, again, after that Indiana series where you saw them struggle and you saw them really look vulnerable for the first time in years. Um, it was, it was really disheartening. I think that there's kind of two thought, two uh, different thought processes here for fans. It's either one, the entire thing needs blown up and you just kind of build around that young core. That's the center of the bench mob unit. And the other group is, these guys, you can't get much for them. I guess you just have to run it back and hope that something has changed with the coaching. And you know what? That sets me up perfectly for my next question. Um, there is no doubt that DeMar DeRozan is going to be an all-NBA player. He had his best season of his career. And, you know, there's a lot, obviously, to like about his game. I, however, am not one of the biggest DeMar DeRozan fans. And I feel like this is the perfect opportunity to sell high, if you will. Now, over the last year or so, there have been rumblings and rumors that he has been uh, on the trade block at some capacity. So my question to you is, do you think it's likely that he is shipped off this offseason? That's number one. And number two, do you think that the Raptors should even consider moving uh, DeMar DeRozan, who's probably, if not the best player in Raptors history, Right there, number two, right behind Vince. Um, I think it's important to keep your options open. I certainly wouldn't say he's untouchable. Um, I think it all really depends on the value that you get back from him. He struggled, as everyone knows, he struggled very badly in this postseason. And he certainly is far from a perfect player. But I think with a 27, 28-year-old who you know works harder than almost anybody in the NBA. I mean, he's got a legendary work ethic. I think you might have to hope that he adds a three-point arsenal to his game or or really adds a better one. He added a little bit of it this year, but he needs to kind of get around to league average there. Or you hope that the new coach helps him out defensively if you can't right. get a decent return. That being said, if, if you receive an offer that you like, I don't think that it's unreasonable that you move on from him and you kind of start to build around this younger core that you have. And if you get a deal that's right, I think that he is available to be moved, although I don't think he's looked to be moved. This will be an exciting offseason with a lot of teams looking to make some moves, including the Toronto Raptors. So we shall see how everything pans out. Once again, guys, that was Mike Bassetti. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Mike Bow Sports. He's a contributor for RaptorsRapture.com. 
And anytime, Mike, that the Raptors make some news, I'd love to have you back on the show to discuss. Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. All right, guys, we are three quarters down, and we just finished discussing one of the more intriguing and kind of hard-to-figure-out teams in the league. But now, to finish up, we're going to discuss one of the more intriguing and hard-to-figure-out players who's coming into a huge offseason. It's our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. In every sport, there's like this one player where no matter who the coach is or who the general manager is, and no matter how many times they've struggled in the past, there's the coach or the GM that says, you know what, if we could just bring him to our team, if we could just bring this player to our organization, we can straighten them out. You know, Jeff George was like the perfect example of that in the 90s, right? He has such great arm talent, and everyone knew it, but it just didn't work out because the dude was – there was just something else wrong there. You know what I mean? He just – he didn't have everything. And, it, and most of it wasn't physical talents, whether it was desire. Uh, you know, I'm not going to take shots at anybody's, you know, mental capacity, but – how he dealt with people, whatever the case, Jeff George was like the poster child of, man, if he could just come to us, we could fix him. And then Jay Cutler took that mantle and ran with it, ran with it. He was that way in Denver. Chicago traded the farm for him. And then he was ready to retire in Miami. He was like, no, nah, man, look at all this money we'll give you if you just come and play one year. And each time, each time along the way. And he had some flashes. And that's the thing. You can be seduced by the flashes, right? You can be seduced by the few and overlook the many, okay? And Jay Cutler, time and time again, how many coaches did he run out of town? How many losing seasons did he have? How many times did players leave and then like, oh, man, this guy's actually pretty good? It happened over and over again under Jay Cutler's watch. And it's not just in sports, right? You ever have the girlfriend or maybe if you're listening, your, your boyfriend, whatever the case may be, and you're like, yo, man, if I could, I, all this stuff, but this small fixes, if we could just tweak this, man, this person to be perfect, you know? Man, you know what? She does all this really well, man. She could be so much better. Like, she's got all this stuff, but, man, you know what? If we could just fix her honesty, then, man, you know what? She'll be perfect. Oh, uh, you know what? He's. He's super cool with all this other stuff, but, man, he's dirty, and he lies all the time. If we could just fix it. Oh, man, she got this, that, but, man, if she could cook her, man, if she could just do this one thing, we'd be perfect. And that one thing, you overlook all the other stuff, just hoping that this one thing could finally be fixed. Like, you have the key component to change it all because you see the talent. You see all the things that they do well, but just, you just got to just change this one thing and that will unlock, like, you know, all of this greatness, this untapped potential. And I say all of that to say that's exactly where DeMarcus Cousins is right now. I have long since just kind of sat back and just wondered about, like, how is it that DeMarcus Cousins has Everyone, everyone salivating about, man, this guy. You know what? If we could get him, despite now seven years of evidence, seven, eight years of evidence, 
that will suggest, you know what? Maybe, just maybe, we'll pass on that, right? It's clear. DeMarcus Cousins is immensely talented. Don't don't hear this and think I'm saying DeMarcus Cousins is trash and he's not. No, 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 no. The brother is clearly talented. I mean, you don't even have to watch much basketball. You don't have to be someone who is like a nerd about the game like I am to just see, okay, this guy, he's got a lot of goods. But it's not the fact that he's talented. It's the fact that he's so talented that he hasn't necessarily owned and honed in on his game. Because he is capable of doing a lot of things, he often doesn't specialize in anything, even the things that he's elite at. So because DeMarcus Cousins can shoot three-pointers, he shoots them when he shouldn't, right? He's not a great three-point shooter, but he's amazing at the basket. So yeah, there are times that having that versatility, being able and capable of shooting a three-pointer, that's awesome. But it comes at the expense of being one of the best players at the rim. You know what I mean? It's like if you're a switch hitter in baseball, but you bat 360 or 370 left-handed. And as a righty, you know, you bat 281. At some point, you got to be like, all right, well, maybe in certain situations, okay, like depending on the, the pitcher. But if I'm 360, well, maybe I just need to be a left-handed hitter. You know what I mean? Let's, let's, just, let's just stick with that. DeMarcus Cousins is an amazing offensive rebounder. I, I think I may have talked about this in a previous episode. He's among the best at offensive rebounding in the entire league. But what happens when he shoots threes? He's not near the rim to get those extra possessions. So it's not the fact that his field goal percentage is significantly lower than it should be. And again, we could discuss effective field goal percentage. And you know what? Before I go further, I want to say he was having the best year, the best season of his career, without a doubt. And the Pelicans, at the time of his injury, were like among a four, like right around, hovering around a three or four seed. Now, the West was super jumbled, so who knows how that season would have ended. Would they have kept that three or four seed? Because Minnesota, we talked about the T-Wolves earlier. Before Jimmy Butler got hurt, they were also like around a three or four seed. You understand? And then we saw how Portland went on a tear at the end of the season. So we don't know how New Orleans would have projected to be had DeMarcus Cousins not gotten injured. But the fact that the Pelicans didn't fall off a cliff should tell everyone something. And they won their first ever playoff series under with Anthony Davis without DeMarcus Cousins. And without, I mean, they got Nico Meritich, okay, who isn't the talent that DeMarcus Cousins is. But unlike DeMarcus Cousins, Nico knows specifically what he is. So whereas DeMarcus Cousins gets himself in so much trouble because he's trying to do all these things that, you know, he does everything at a certain level, but he's not great at everything he does. You know what I mean? So it's almost as if you allow him more leeway with the rope because you have seen him and you know that he's talented enough, but he's not good enough to, you know, tie a great knot, right, or a lasso 
and more times than not, oftentimes he's he's met, he's making a noose with that extra leeway you're giving him with the rope, right? And that is the ultimate, you know, conundrum when it comes to Demarcus Cousins. He's talented enough to be given the keys to the car, but when you give him the keys, oftentimes he's not disciplined enough not to crash the car, and that's the problem. And then on top of that, he's coming off of an Achilles tear. And I feel I feel awful for the brother for that, you know, because in a contract year, in a year in which he was having his best season, he tears his Achilles. And you look at the list of players who have come back from an Achilles injury. It is not it is not a sight that will give anyone confidence. DeMarcus Cousins tweeted out Dominic Wilkins, and that's the one guy if at any point in your life. You tear your Achilles and you're a professional basketball player. The one guy you can turn to and be like, you know what? He did it is Dominique Wilkins. Unfortunately, DeMarcus Cousins weighs like 50 pounds more than Dominique does. And the year after Dominique tore his Achilles, the year once he returned, he had an amazing year. But then after that first year back from Achilles, look at his seasons. And it was a slow then it was a dramatic drop and decrease in productivity. Now, that's not to say that DeMarcus Cousins can't do it. I'm pulling for him. But what do you do with him? Because it's clear he's heard all the criticisms that I'm saying right now about coming back from Achilles. He's heard it. He tweeted so much. He tweeted, man, you know what? I forget how he's hashtagging it and how he's branding his like kind of comeback, but he's heard the the chirps about the Achilles. He tweeted out the Dominique Wilkins stuff. He's tweeting out him rehabbing, him doing Pilates, all this stuff. And it's tough because he's, he's a free agent. You know, he was in line for a huge contract and so many teams are intrigued. Obviously, for DeMarcus Cousins. But what do you do? Because the fact is, there are a lot of desperate teams. And when you're desperate, you are willing to do things that you probably know you shouldn't. We talked about desperation just a few weeks ago, right? Some of the worst decisions I've made is when I'm desperate. And I'm sure most of you guys can attest to that and agree with that as well. So if you're the Dallas Mavericks, there's a report that the Dallas Mavericks or the Clippers... You know, they're interested in DeMarcus Cousins. So if there's a bidding war on DeMarcus Cousins, a guy who, yes, was coming off of his best season ever, but the Pelicans played fine without him. He had never, he's never played a second in the playoffs. Look at the guys who have left DeMarcus Cousins and then how somehow gotten better. Isaiah Thomas, Hassan Whiteside, Tyreek Evans, I mean, at some point, at some point, you got to sit back and like, okay, well, well, how do you explain all of this? Are these all just coincidence? Is this all just a one large coincidence? Or is there something deeper? Because make no mistake, whether it's a long-term deal or short-term deal, DeMarcus Cousins is going to get paid. He's talented enough, and he has deserved um, that money. But there are too many people I know in D.C. who want DeMarcus Cousins to come to the Wizards. 
And I'm just like, man, I, I don't know. I don't know. He's talented enough that he could get the keys to the car. But are you confident that he's not going to wreck that car? That's the question. I suppose 29, 30 teams, really, because New Orleans probably is thinking about, you know what, what should we do with them? 30 teams are wondering that exact question. What do you do with DeMarcus Cousins? He is uh, such a fascinating player because of the talent and because of the shortcomings, but he's also fascinating because he's in this predicament. And he has the capabilities, absolutely, in the right system. DeMarcus Cousins can change a franchise, absolutely, without question. But I don't know what system that is. I don't think it's New Orleans. I don't think it's D.C. and the Wizards. I, I actually have a lot of concerns if you were to come to D.C., truly. But the talent is there, and the talent is so much that maybe you overlook a few things. But can you overlook a, a torn Achilles from a 270-pound man? This offseason is going to be amazing, and I can't wait. Hopefully, you guys can wait till next week for the next episode of the Quarterly Report. But I also hope you enjoyed this week's show. Again, I want to thank my guest this week, Mike Bassetti from RaptorsRapture.com. Make sure you check out that website. Thanks to each and every one of you guys as well for listening and rocking with me each and every week. Remember, you can get involved with the show. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at me at quarterly show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show on Twitter. And make sure you download, subscribe, and tell your friends to rate and review the show as well. We're on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Podknife, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, wherever anyone listens to their podcast, tell them to check out the show. I really appreciate you guys listening and the numbers continue to grow, man. I want to thank each and every one of you for rocking with me and the show. Once again, I will see you guys here next Thursday on the Quarterly Report.